Volume One, Chapter Nine of Travels in the Interior of Africa by Mungo Park. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Town of Jara, Detained by the Moors. The town of Jara is of considerable extent. The houses are built of clay and stone intermixed, the clay answering the purpose of mortar. It is situated in the Moorish kingdom of Ludamar, but the major part of the inhabitants are Negroes from the borders of the southern states, who prefer a precarious protection under the Moors, which they purchase by a tribute rather than continue exposed to their predatory hostilities the tribute they pay is considerable and they manifest towards their more superiors the most unlimited obedience and submission and are treated by them with the utmost indignity and contempt the moors of this and the other states adjoining the country of the negroes resemble in the persons the mulattoes of the west indies to so great a degree as not easily to be distinguished from them and in truth the present generation seem to be a mixed race between the moors properly so called of the north and the negroes of the south possessing many of the worst qualities of both nations of the origin of these moorish tribes as distinguished from the inhabitants of barbary from whom they are divided by the great desert nothing further seems to be known than what is related by john leo the african whose account may be abridged as follows before the arabian conquest about the middle of the seventh century all the inhabitants of africa whether they were descended from Numidians, Phoenicians, Carthaginians, Romans, Vandals, or Goths, were comprehended under the general name of Maori, or Moors. All these nations were converted to the religion of Mohammed during the Arabian Empire under the Caliphs. After this time, many of the Numidian tribes who led a wandering life in the desert and supported themselves upon the produce of their cattle retired southward across the great desert to avoid the fury of the arabians and by one of those tribes says leo that of zanghanga were discovered and conquered the negro nations on the niger by the niger is here undoubtedly meant the river of senegal which in the mandingo language is baffing or the black river to what extent these peoples are now spread over the african continent is difficult to ascertain there is reason to believe that their dominion stretches from west to east in a narrow line or belt from the mouth of the senegal on the northern side of that river to the confines of abyssinia they are subtle and treacherous race of people and take every opportunity of cheating and plundering the credulous and unsuspecting negroes 
but their manners and general habits of life will be best explained as incidents occur in the course of my narrative the difficulties we already encountered the unsettled state of the country and above all the savage and overbearing deportment of the moors had so completely frightened my attendants that they declared they would rather relinquish every claim to reward than proceed one step farther to the eastward indeed the danger they incurred of being seized by the moors and sold into slavery became every day more apparent and i could not condemn their apprehensions in this situation deserted by my attendants and reflecting that my retreat was cut off by the war behind me and that a moorish country of ten days journey lay before me i applied to damien to obtain permission from ali the chief or sovereign of ludamar that i might pass through his country unmolested into bambara and i hired one of damon's slaves to accompany me thither as soon as such permission should be obtained a messenger was dispatched to ali who at this time was encamped near benowen and as a present was necessary in order to ensure success i sent him five garments of cotton cloth which i purchased of damon for one of my fowling pieces fourteen days elapsed in settling this affair but on the evening of the twenty sixth of february one of ali's slaves arrived with directions as he pretended to conduct me in safety as far as gumba and told me i was to pay him one garment of blue cotton cloth for his attendance my faithful boy observing that i was about to proceed without him resolved to accompany me and told me that though he wished me to turn back he never entertained any serious thoughts of deserting me but had been advised to it by johnson with a view to induce me to turn immediately for gambia february twenty seventh i delivered most of my papers to johnson to convey them to gambia as soon as possible reserving a duplicate for myself in case of accidents i likewise left in damon's possessions a bundle of clothes and other things that were not absolutely necessary for i wished to diminish my baggage as much as possible that the moors might have fewer inducements to plunder us things thus being adjusted we departed from jara in the forenoon and slept at trumgumba a small walled village inhabited by a mixture of negroes and moors on the day following february twenty eighth we reached kira and on the twenty ninth after a toilsome journey over a sandy country we came to comp a watering place belonging to the moors from whence on the morning following we proceeded to dina a large town and like jara built of stone and clay the moors are here in greater proportion to the negroes than at jara they assembled 
round the hut of the negro where i lodged and treated me with the greatest insolence they hissed shouted and abused me they even spat in my face with a view to irritate me and afford them a pretext for seizing my baggage but finding such insults had not the desired effect they had recourse to the final and decisive argument that i was a christian and of course that my property was lawful plunder to the followers of mohammed they accordingly opened my bundles and robbed me of everything they fancied my attendants finding that everybody could rob me with impunity insisted on returning to jara the day following march second i endeavored by all the means in my power to prevail upon my people to go on but they still continued obstinate and having reason to fear some further insult from the fanatic moors i resolved to proceed alone accordingly the next morning about two o'clock i departed from dina it was moonlight but the roaring of the wild beasts made it necessary to proceed with caution when i had reached a piece of rising ground about half a mile from the town i heard somebody halloo and looking back saw my faithful boy running after me he informed me that ali's men had gone back to benowen and that damon's negro was about to depart for jara but he said he had no doubt if i would stop a little that he could persuade the latter to accompany us i waited accordingly and in about an hour the boy returned with the negro and we continued traveling over a sandy country covered chiefly with the ascapolinus gigantea until midday when we came to a number of deserted huts and seeing some appearances of water at a little distance i sent the boy to fill a sofru but as he was examining the place for water the roaring of a lion that was probably on the same pursuit induced the frightened boy to return in haste and we submitted patiently to the disappointment in the afternoon we reached a town inhabited chiefly by fulas called samaning kus next morning march fourth we set out for samka which place we reached about two o'clock on the road we observed immense quantities of locusts the trees were quite black with them samka is a large town and when the moors and bambarans were at war was thrice attacked by the former but they were driven off with great loss though the king of bambara was afterwards obliged to give up this and all the other towns as far as gumba in order to obtain peace here i lodged at the house of a negro who practised the art of making gunpowder he showed me a bag of nitra very white but the crystals were much smaller than common they procure it in considerable quantities from the ponds which are filled in the rainy season and to which the cattle resort for coolness during the heat of the day 
when the water is evaporated a white efflorescence is observed on the mud which the natives collect and purify in such a manner as to answer their purpose the moors supply them with sulphur from the mediterranean and the process is completed by pounding the different articles together in a wooden mortar the grains are very unequal and the sound of its explosion is by no means so sharp as that produced by european gunpowder march fifth we departed from samka at daylight about noon we stopped a little at a village called dangali and in the evening arrived at dali we saw upon the road two large herds of camels feeding when the moors turn their camels to feed they tie up one of their forelegs to prevent their straying this happened to be a feast day at dali and the people were dancing before the duties house but when they were informed that a white man was come into the town they left off dancing and came to the place where i lodged walking in regular order two and two with the music before them they play upon a sort of flute but instead of blowing into a hole on the side they blow obliquely over the end which is half shut by a thin piece of wood they govern the holes on the side with their fingers and play some simple and very plaintive airs they continue to dance and sing until midnight during which time i was surrounded by so great a crowd as made it necessary for me to satisfy their curiosity by sitting still march sixth we stopped here this morning because some of the townspeople who were going for goomba on the day following wished to accompany us but in order to avoid the crowd of people which usually assembled in the evening we went to a negro's village to the east of dali called sami where we were kindly received by the hospitable duty who on this occasion killed two fine sheep and invited his friends to come and feast with him march seventh our landlord was so proud of the honor of entertaining a white man that he insisted on my staying with him and his friends until the cool of the evening when he said he would conduct me to the next village as i was now within two days journey of goomba i had no apprehension from the moors and readily accepted the invitation i spent the forenoon very pleasantly with these poor negroes their company was the more acceptable as the gentleness of their manners presented a striking contrast to the rudeness and barbarity of the moors they enlivened their conversation by drinking a fermented liquor made from corn the same sort of beer that i have described in a former chapter and better i never tasted in great britain in the midst of this harmless festivity i flattered myself that all danger from the moors was over fancy had already placed me on the banks of the niger and presented to my imagination a thousand delightful scenes in my future progress 
when a party of moors unexpectedly entered the hut and dispelled the golden dream they came they said by ali's orders to convey me to his camp at benome if i went peacefully they told me i had nothing to fear but if i refused they had orders to bring me by force i was struck dumb by surprise and terror which the moors observed endeavored to calm my apprehensions by repeating the assurance that i had nothing to fear their visit they added was occasioned by the curiosity of ali's wife fatima who had heard so much about christians that she was very anxious to see one as soon as her curiosity should be satisfied they had no doubt they said that ali would give me a handsome present and send a person to conduct me to bambara finding entreaty and resistance equally fruitless i prepared to follow the messengers and took leave of my landlord and his company with great reluctance accompanied by my faithful boy for damon's slave made his escape on seeing the moors we reached dally in the evening where we were strictly watched by the moors during the night march eighth we were conducted by a circuitous path through the woods to dangali where we slept march ninth we continued our journey and in the afternoon arrived at samka next morning march tenth we set out for saminkan Kus. on the road we overtook a woman and two boys with an ass she informed us that she was going for bambara but had been stopped on the road by a party of moors who had taken most of her clothes and some gold from her and that she would be under the necessity of returning to dina till the fast moon was over the same even the new moon was seen which ushered in the month of ramadan large fires were made in different parts of the town and a greater quantity of victuals than usual dressed upon the occasion march eleventh by daylight the moors were in readiness but as i had suffered much from thirst on the road i made my boy fill a sofru of water for my own use for the moors assured me that they should not taste either meat or drink until sunset however i found that the excessive heat of the sun and the dust we raised in travelling overcame their scruples and made my sofru a very useful part of our baggage on our arrival at dina i went to pay my respects to one of ali's sons i found him sitting in a low hut with five or six more of his companions washing their hands and feet and frequently taking water into their mouths garling and spitting it out again i was no sooner seated than he handed me a double-barreled gun and told me to dye the stock of a blue color and repair one of the locks i found great difficulty in persuading him that i knew nothing about the matter however says he 
if you cannot repair the gun you shall give me some knives and scissors immediately and when my boy who acted as interpreter assured him that i had no such articles he hastily snatched up a musket that stood by him cocked it and putting the muzzle close to the boy's ear would certainly have shot him dead upon the spot had not the moors wrestled the musket from him and made signs for us to retreat march twelfth we departed from dina towards benawan and about nine o'clock came to a quarry whence the moors were preparing to depart to the southward on account of the scarcity of water here we filled our sofru and continued our journey over a hot sandy country covered with small stunted shrubs until about one o'clock when the heat of the sun obliged us to stop but our water being expanded we could not prudently remain longer than a few minutes to collect a little gum which is an excellent succulum for water as it keeps the mouth moist and allays for a time the pain in the throat about five o'clock we came in sight of bedawum the residence of ali it presented to the eye a great number of dirty-looking tents scattered without order over a large space of ground and among the tents appeared large herds of camels cattle and goats we reached the skirts of this camp a little before sunset and with much entreaty procured a little water my arrival was no sooner observed than the people who drew water at the wells threw down their buckets those in the tents mounted their horses and men women and children came running or galloping towards me i soon found myself surrounded by such a crowd that i could scarcely move one pulled my clothes another took off my hat a third stopped me to examine my waistcoat buttons and a fourth called out la ila el allah mohammed razal ali there is but one god and mohammed is his prophet and signified in a threatening manner that i must repeat those words we reached at length the king's tent where we found a great number of people men and women assembled ali was sitting upon a black leather cushion clipping a few hairs from his upper lip a female attendant holding up a looking-glass before him he appeared to be an old man of the arab caste with a long white beard and he had a sullen and indignant aspect he surveyed me with attention and inquired of the moors if i could speak arabic being answered in the negative he appeared much surprised and continued silent the surrounding attendants and especially the ladies were abundantly more inquisitive they asked a thousand questions inspected every part of my apparel searched my pockets and obliged me to unbutton my waistcoat 
and display the whiteness of my skin. They even counted my toes and fingers, as if they doubted whether I was in truth a human being. In a little time the priests announced evening prayers, but before the people departed, the Moor who had acted as interpreter informed me that Ali was about to present me with something to eat, and looked around, I observed some boys bringing a wild hog, which they tied to one of the tent strings, and Ali made signs to me to kill and dress it for supper. Though I was very hungry, I did not think it prudent to eat any part of an animal so much detested by the Moors, and therefore told him that I never ate such food. Then they then untied the hog, in hopes that it would run immediately at me, for they believed that a great amity subsists between hogs and Christians. But in this they were disappointed, for the animal no sooner regained his liberty than he began to attack indiscriminately every person that came in his way, and at last took shelter under the couch upon which the king was sitting. The assembly being thus dissolved, I was conducted to the tent of Ali's chief slave but was not permitted to enter, nor allowed to touch anything belonging to it. I requested something to eat, and a little boiled corn with salt and water was at length sent me in a wooden bowl, and a mat was spread upon the sand before the tent, on which I passed the night, surrounded by the curious multitude. At sunrise, Ali, with a few attendants, came on horseback to visit me, and signified that he had provided a hut for me, where I would be sheltered from the sun. I was accordingly conducted thither, and found the hut comparatively cool and pleasant. I was no sooner seated in this, my new habitation, than the Moors assembled in crowds to behold me but I found it rather a troublesome levy, for I was obliged to take off one of my stockings and show them my foot, and even to take off my jacket and waistcoat to show them how my clothes were put on and off. They were much delighted with the curious contrivance of buttons. All this was to be repeated to every succeeding visitor, for such as they already seen these wonders insisted on their friends seeing the same, and in this manner I was employed, dressing and undressing, buttoning and unbuttoning, from noon till night. About eight o'clock, Ali sent me supper for some couscous and salt and water, which was very acceptable being the only victuals I had tasted since morning. I observed that in the night the Moors kept regular watch and frequently looked into the hut to see if I was asleep, and if it was quite dark they would light a wisp of grass. About two o'clock in the morning a Moor entered the hut, probably with a view to steal something, 
or perhaps to murder me and groping about he laid his hand upon my shoulder as night visitors were at best but suspicious characters i sprang up the moment he laid his hand upon me and the more in his haste to get off stumbled over my boy and fell with his face upon the wild hog which returned the attack by biting the moor's arm the screams of this man alarmed the people in the king's tent who immediately conjectured that i had made my escape and a number of them mounted their horses and prepared to pursue me i observed upon this occasion that ali did not sleep in his own tent but came galloping upon a white horse from a small tent at a considerable distance indeed the tyrannical and cruel behavior of this man made him so jealous of every person around him that even his own slaves and domestics knew not where he slept when the moors had explained to him that the cause of this outcry they all went away and i was permitted to sleep quietly until morning march thirteenth with the returning day commenced the same round of insult and irritation the boys assembled to beat the hog and the men and women to plague the christian it is impossible for me to describe the behavior of a people who study mischief as a science and exult in the miseries and misfortunes of their fellow creatures end of volume one chapter nine recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c